I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whatever time it is, wherever you are, I'm delighted to be joined uh, by Gil Gross, uh, who I think is uh, speaking to us from sunny California, am I right? That's right. Great to be with you. Yeah, cool. And I'm in deepest, darkest Germany, uh, where it is already early evening and dark and cold. But we've got something to warm us up today, Gil. Um I don't want to answer the question quite yet because I've kind of got that at the end, but uh, I certainly think we cannot cannot have a matches of the year series without including Carlos Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner. And you were there for it. I mean, looking back a couple of months later, does it still feel as epic now? It does. And uh, there were so many circumstances that made it feel that way. And I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of get into all of those. Uh, but you know, the reason I was there, I think we can start here. I, I uh, work for US Open Radio as a, as a court reporter. And for much of the tournament, I'm actually on the outer courts. And my job is to kind of be the eyes and ears of the matches that the broadcast isn't fully focused on. But as the matches dwindle down, you hit Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, those, on those days, I'm more inside Arthur Ashe as kind of the third member of the broadcast crew. So it'll be the play-by-play. Uh, that color analyst, and then me, and I'm the one actually in the building. And uh, late on a Wednesday night, that was my last match of uh, of my 2022 U.S. Open in person. I flew to California the very next morning uh, to cover the rest um, on YouTube from home. So it was uh, going out with a bang. Listen, I was also in, in New York for the latter stages of that tournament, so including the day of this match. I remember uh, going to the ticket office uh, at one point just to sort of inquire about the availability of tickets um, for the evening session. And there were one or two available, uh, believe it or not. Um, also, they were they were affordable, let's say, but still a little on the pricey side, especially as 
I do find one of the benefits about New York is actually you can do sort of lastminute.com and get tickets reasonably good value, especially if you sort of, you know, are persistent online. But I decided in my wisdom, Gil, uh, to, to not choose Alcaraz Sinner. It's like 6 p.m. if you like, 7 p.m. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'll go back to the hotel and I'll enjoy that. And I'll keep my powder dry for one or two matches later on in the tournament. So my question for you, Gil, is should I have, I mean, it's easy to say now, but should I have known before, given the matchup, given some of the matches they'd had in the past, should I have known that this was going to be a classic or or is it obvious or what? Well, look, it's tough. You know, it, it's a long, it's a long uh, tournament. It is. So you have to save yourself. And uh, I make those decisions at, at certain points throughout the event as well about, you know, whether or not I'm going to, uh, you know, stick it out for a, uh, a late night session on Ash. Uh, the, the thing about this match that I think is kind of relevant is the way the draw was shaping out. There was a feeling that this might be kind of a de facto final uh, because there were a lot of upsets in the event. Uh, you know, Nick Kyrgios was kind of the other name lo- looming large. But if we go through the quarter finalists here, it was Kyrgios, Hachinov, Berrettini, Rude, uh, Rublev, and Tiafo. So uh, this Sinner Alcaraz match, you know, there was a circle on it, not only because you have, you know, the two young, the, the young players who had that kind of great rivalry and Sinner had won the last two matches, but you also have the fact that the draw is actually open for one of these two guys to win their first major. Yeah, I mean, listen, in terms of the run that each player had um, in ter- before getting to this meeting, I mean, Sinner had just emerged from a five-setter against Ivashka. I think Alcaraz had a similar situation as well in the match before against Chilich. Albeit, I don't know why, but I felt watching both of those matches or watching them on and off, I always felt that Alcaraz would prevail and Sinner had, would prevail. But it was kind of interesting that they both had just come out of five-setters going into that quarterfinal. Did you think about that before the match and think it might have any bearing and might affect one player or the other? I did. Uh, I was at the entire uh, center of Vashka match, and I, I, I also talked to Yannick after the match. And uh, that was a really tough night in the office for him. Uh, he was very upset even after the win. He thought his performance wasn't any good. Uh, it was a match where you know he, he was able to kind of break serve at will, but his serve was way off, double-digit double faults, uh, very low percentage of first serves. Uh, the, the serve just really made that a difficult match for him. And uh, he wanted to get off the court quickly playing a night session uh, on Louis Armstrong Stadium, the second largest court at the U.S. Open, and he wasn't able to make that happen. I think, you know, Alcaraz, on the other hand, you know, he also went really, really deep into the night against Chilich. Uh, but it, it was Marin Cilic who has been dangerous at majors all year long. Uh, it was a result that felt a little bit more understandable. Yes, it was long. Yes, it was five sets. But uh, Cilic is a dangerous opponent. And the important part there was Alcaraz got through it. There was a real negative feeling around Sinner's level, I think, coming out of that Avashka match. Got it. Got it. Okay. So both of them emerging from five set matches. Both of them now do get to the quarterfinals. Probably it might have been the only quarterfinal that I predicted correct, at least in terms of them getting there. I think I had Nadal getting there and amongst others and and Nadal obviously didn't make it. I also predicted pre-tournament this quarterfinal would happen. 
and that Sinner would win it. Can you understand why I thought that um, before the match or before the tournament at least, um, Gil? I do. I, I, uh, I was with you there. Same exact prediction for me. I mean, you got to look at the last two meetings. You know, you, you look at the Wimbledon match where uh, Sinner on, a, on another very, you know, on a quicker surface, his serve return skill really kind of shone through. He served bigger, got a lot more out of his serve, and he was able to attack the Alcaraz second serve really, really effectively. Uh, Carlitos, you know, goes with the kick serve to the backhand and center is, is kind of uniquely prepared to actually attack that serve. Uh, we'll see maybe as we go through this match, center want to set point on, uh, on a backhand return winner down the line off of that very serve. Um, center also kind of had a, a steadiness to him uh, in the two matches. The second being in Umag, the final of Umag. Uh, Alcaraz was really poor on break points in that match. And that was kind of a pattern throughout the summer that Alcaraz was playing well. He was playing good tennis, but it looked like the pressure was getting to him in these matches and the scoreboard was affecting him. And he even admitted as much. Uh, I, I don't know if it was after Cincinnati or after Canada, uh, but he even said that he needs to figure out how to kind of deal with the pressure that, that he wasn't quite used to. So I thought Sinner had an advantage potentially in the serve return dynamic. I thought he had an advantage in, clu in clutchness, uh, nerve management. He had shown that. And also, he has a simpler game where less things can go wrong. Uh, and that's why I, I also thought that Sinner would prevail in this one. Funnily enough, you mentioned clutchness. Uh, something I noticed and, and made a note of as I was watching parts of the match over the last 24 hours or so is actually I noted that, that Sinner quite a few times was clutch, which is kind of weird, bearing in mind... He was serving for the match, I think, in the fourth set. Um, am I right on that one? And, mm -hmm. of course, had match points, you know, had advantages at various points. If you just looked at the scoreboard, you might think, actually, Sinner wasn't clutch. But there were so many times he was in trouble. Love 40 down on his serve, but he managed to three big serves, get himself back into the into the game and often holding. I mean, there were lots of breaks of serve on both sides of the net. I guess we shouldn't be so surprised at that for various reasons. But listen, I want to address the first sort of moment in the match where I thought, okay, we might be witnessing something special. And it came as early as the fifth game, actually, at two all. It was a sensational point that I've just sort of brought up on the, on the screen here. I don't know if you remember this point, bearing in mind how long the match was and how early on this was. Was it the behind the back? No, that's much later. This is actually at two all. And okay. it was just, to be honest with you, I think what I was, I, I made a note, Gil, uh, just, just a sort of random note as I was watching the match of the day. And it was the number of times I heard squeaking of the shoes. Now, mm -hmm. this is normal on a hard court that you'll hear it re fairly regularly and boom, 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 boom. But the number of times it was a lengthy screech of the shoes, almost sort of clay court-esque in terms of the sliding around that each player does. I don't remember a match quite like that. And it probably is slightly more on the um, Alcaraz side of things. But but tell me about what you thought about these elements and the court coverage in particular. Insane. I mean, and that's the that's the Carlos Alcaraz experience in particular. You know, Sinner is a very good athlete. He, he moves extremely well. Uh, but you are going to find players who, who move uh, at his level. Alcaraz, you, you simply won't. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't exist. And uh, he's going to get to these balls that uh, 
you simply don't think a human is able will will be able to reach and and he gets there so the you know it's kind of a speed versus power thing going on with with Sinner and Alcaraz but there were some great cat and mouse points um I I I do have the highlights up the very short version of the highlights up and I've refreshed myself on the point you're talking about this two all deuce point yeah uh, where where you have Alcaraz scrambling he gets to a great drop volley hits a lob off of it but then it's what is it for Sinner it's his racket talent that ultimately uh serves him so well in this point because he's able to uh while moving back you know hit this kind of 360 forehand or 180 forehand passing shot uh to end up winning the point exactly and it is exactly that point juice however probably from this moment onwards there is a not a rudimentary feeling to the match but it's certainly Alcaraz seizes the initiative wins four games in a row I think he's three two down albeit on serve at one point and he actually breaks for a second time to take the set 6-3 were you reevaluating anything at this point uh in terms of the way we thought that both of us thought that probably Sinner might well prevail. Were you starting to reevaluate things at the end of the first set? Yeah, I was. And and even before the match, I was I was reevaluating the, the pre-tournament prediction uh, because uh, I did think that Sinner repeatedly was having to work too hard uh, to, to win his matches. And it's not just the Avashka match. You know, you can go back to uh, uh, his first round match, I think it was against Daniel Altmaier. Uh, there, there were a couple of them in there. Uh, where, where Yannick had, and Nakashima, uh, he dropped a set against. Um, anyway, yeah, after the first set, I thought that, again, for Alcaraz, the mental side was going to be very important. After losing two matches in a row to center in, in pretty short succession over the summer and having a lot of problems just, you know, coming through in the, in the tight moments, I thought it would be a, a big deal mentally for Alcaraz to get over the hump uh, break the uh, break the center serve, which by the way he didn't do in either match. Wimbledon and Umag, and that was key for me. Uh, how was Alcaraz going to get that break, that first break of serve? Because he would know in his mind how poor he was on break points um, against center. Center saved the first couple of break points, if my memory serves as well, in that first set. So now you have this, you know, this pressure really snowballing about okay, I really need to convert on one of these. And uh, finally he does, and he ends up winning the first set. And uh, I felt it would it would relax Alcaraz quite a bit, and it would pay dividends in, in his quest to win this quarterfinal. There was also something else, and I, I guess it's throughout the match, but maybe I just noticed it more in the first set. It, was it me, or am I right in thinking that Alcaraz was taking the serve super early, super aggressive, putting himself in charge of points, particularly in that four-game period and the two, the two occasions he broke serve in that period? Seemed to me as though... Alcaraz was enjoying, let's say, returning uh, Sinner's serve. He was. Uh, a lot of body serves for Yannick Sinner, especially on the second serve. And that was effective at times, especially in their match at Wimbledon. Uh, but I think Alcaraz was on it and, uh, you know, he was challenging it. Usually to counteract the body serve, sometimes you even move back. But Alcaraz didn't really do that. But he was very much ready to just get his body out of the way and and take big rips at the ball and and that is his typical return mindset you know he's he's not really of like the Andy Murray mold of let's get the first serve return back in play and and you know perhaps do some scrambling from there uh he does want to make a solid neutralizing return sometimes even an offensive return 
uh, yeah, I would agree that he definitely did that against Sinner. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What are your thoughts, and this is sort of more of an outtake, if we like, or more of a, a, a background thought. What are your thoughts on the tactical battle, and particularly in terms of the two coaches? Cahill, I think, came on board for... Um, for Sinner sometime in the summer, I believe. Um, of course, we've got Juan Carlos Ferrero. Maybe it's because we're, we're we're consuming more and more tennis than ever that actually tennis fans like yourself and, and I, we are sort of, you know, there's suddenly the, the cameras now are going on the coaches, uh, you know, every, at the end of every point. And like something else I noticed, um, I, as I think all tennis fans are familiar with with the coaches now possibly more than than ever before. Uh, any thoughts on on the tactical battle between the two players, between the coaches, the effect that each had on their player? They're both so well-rounded and there are no huge weaknesses with either player that I did feel in evaluating the match. Um, and mind you, in my role, you know, with US Open Radio, I, I do much less, you know, analytical um, kind of stuff than, than I would if I were covering the match uh, for my YouTube channel. Um, But I find myself in this matchup uh, looking at a lot of the execution factors a little bit more than, than the strategy uh, because I, I found that it has often come down to um, certain, you know, levels of just kind of getting it done, you know, having, you know, the, the plan is one thing you can try to execute a plan, but Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner, they're both players who are, uh, very, very difficult to spam a tactic, I'll say, against. And mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, the forehand consistency was maybe one adjustment that Alcaraz made. I, I just found there was more safety on it in this match uh, than we had seen. So that's the kind of thing, slight adjustment potentially from Juan Carlos Ferrero, uh, just to add some air, add some spin, and uh, to be a little bit more steady on the forehand side. Uh, and and to kind of trust the legs in that way. Um, And then I would say when you talk about the coaches in this match, this is what stands out to me. And we were having this conversation on the air on U.S. Open Radio. There was a huge difference in the energy coming from both boxes. Massive, massive difference, especially later in the match and when it looked like Sinner was in charge and on top. Uh, Alcaraz's box was basically comatose they were never on their feet they were not they were they just weren't given anything they were at, they were giving absolutely no energy yannick's box was uh extremely fiery and darren cahill was routinely on his feet standing up fist pumping uh there was a, a, an enormous difference there and that was why uh for for a large period of time it it felt like the energy of the match was uh, really in favor of Yannick. Yeah, very much so. And that was to change, of course, as we go into the second set. I also just want to highlight some some things that just stuck in my head with a number of lobs that seemed to be occurring. Maybe it happened more earlier in the match, but not just lobs. It's 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 the lob that is almost perfect because Casino is just 
you know, it's, he said he's got a decision to make. He's either going to let it go over his head because it's it's going to go too far above his head and try and chase back and do a tween or recover the situation. Or, and this is what seemed to happen so many times in that first set, he's actually thinking a split second decision. I can get a racket on this and I'm going to be in the point, albeit I'm still going to be struggling. I'm going to be looking at a 20% chance of winning the point. And that's something that I just remember having a lot, that the the the, the precision, I guess, of, of, of there was none that were too short, easy smashes. There were also none that were just beyond, if you like, um, Sinner's reach. But um, I don't know if that was something that they thought about or whether Alcaraz is just using spontaneity at that point. Well, his, he's got such an amazing lob, Alcaraz. And I, I think if we want to talk about holes, if we want to talk about what are ways we can make your opponent uncomfortable, in Sinner's case, uh, he's a very average volleyer. So, okay. uh, you know, Alcaraz has tremendous drop shots and uh, the way he follows it up is, is really great. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, if one of the uh, one of the tactics that Carlos planned to use in the match was to the, the drop shot even from positions where he doesn't quite think it's going to finish the point, but it'll give him a chance at the pass. Uh, that passing shot happened to be the lob, oftentimes, but also Alcaraz's drop shot lob combination. It, it's going to be a staple of of his game, and uh, it's just something he's so good about because his. His hands are so good. His feel is uh, immaculate. What did happen, though, in this match is that there was another... Well, there were many twists and turns. Sometimes even just in one game, there would be a couple of twists and turns. But there was the first sort of, I guess, significant twist in the match in that Alcaraz obviously wins the first set, 6-3. Second set, though, uh, Sinner seized, seized the initiative midway through the second set um, from a seemingly defensive position after an excellent cross-court forehand from Alcaraz. Sinner turns defense into attack in one foul swoop. And that expression, uh, funny enough, came up in conversation, not about this match, but just in, about tennis in general, about Craig O'Shaughnessy. Uh, or with Craig O'Shaughnessy, we were talking about the Kasparu-Djokovic final recently in Turin. And it was just something that Rude wasn't able to do. And that's what uh, Craig highlighted. And I was just thinking to myself, how many times did we see that in this match? when one player would be so far behind in the rally exchange and yet would end up winning the point. Yeah, and the running forehand for Sinner is one of those special shots. We talk about Alcaraz's drop shot lob combination. Alcaraz, uh, Sinner, when he's on the run on his forehand, he hits it so clean, he gets so much on the ball, and uh, he's able to do, <clears throat> do just that, You know, turn defense to offense in, you know, in, in one swing. I was so good uh, throughout this U.S. Open. Um, and on the backhand side, there's a lot of ability as well with the open stance backhand for center. Uh, but the forehand is really the one where, like, let's say you hit a, a backhand down the line or a forehand inside in or a sharp angle forehand cross court. You, know, you might think you did enough. And uh, center's running forehand is uh, erases a lot of, of that progress that you think you made in the point on a consistent basis. It's remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. So Sinner's initiative uh, ends up taking uh, this set. By the way, this was, this was an image as well. This, <laughs> I don't know if you can see it on the screen here, Gil, I, I, I think I took about a hundred different screenshots, all very similar, all very much like this, which I think, um, you know, shows us some of the stuff from Alcaraz. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, Sinner does go on. 
of course, to take that set, but it doesn't come out without a few hiccups. Sinner, I think, is serving for the set, uh, but then there's an unforced error from Yannick. So Alcaraz gets back in it, five all. Huge psychological blow, you would think, but it's going to get worse. Big swing of the pendulum, uh, said uh, Barry Cowan in uh, one commentary booth. Not with you, Gil, but elsewhere. Alcaraz holds to love. So it's now 5-6 with Yannick serving. Bearing in mind 10 minutes before, you know, he was serving for the set. Then it gets even worse because I think he goes love 40 down and is facing three break points. And this is the bit that I was talking about before, about some clutch moments from Yannick. Did he hit... Three huge first serves here. He yeah. did. He did. Three un- incredible serves. I think they were all unreturnable. There may have been an ace in there as well. And it's just like, boom, we're back at juice. Yeah. This, and- this game, actually, this game, I think, could go. Sorry, Gil, to, uh, to talk over you there a second. This game could end up going down as being one of the games of the year. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a lengthy one with a dozen or so juices, but it was just, this is the one where we've got the point with, uh, with, um, Sinner doing this, sorry, uh, Carlos doing this with the behind, uh, the the back shot. He doesn't win the game, of course. It does go to a tie break, but but this game was just epic, and especially epic in a way from Sinner's perspective because he loses this incredible point when he's actually got a game point to take a tie break. He must be thinking, what have I got to do to win a point against this guy? Not only that, of course, he's seeded an incredible advantage. So hats off to Sinner to force the tie break. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first serve, the first serve, I think, picked it up um, big time in, in this set. And uh, this was the kind of thing that Sinner had the ability to do uh, that Alcaraz didn't quite as much is, is just get out of jail with that first serve. Uh, at this point, Alcaraz actually did it pretty well um, later on in the tournament, but um, it was massive for, for Yannick to, uh, to be able to dig out of this hole. And this shot here by Alcaraz is probably shot of the year. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to dig through it. Uh, there's one JJ Wolf shot in Miami that I think could give it a run for its money. I haven't decided yet what my shot of the year is. It will be on the Monday match analysis awards. Uh, but, but this is definitely, I can tell you, John, the best shot I've ever seen in person. And, you know, I've, I've seen some good ones. I saw, you know, I've seen a, a tweener winner from Roger Federer before. Uh, this was like everything slowed down. Uh, I, I saw this shot in slow motion and it was like just shock. And the, the way he, he ended up chasing down the center drop shot, you knew he would. You knew it was going to be a winner. It, it was an unbelievable moment in this match. Listen, that brings me now to something else, Gil, in terms of the, the match as a, a whole, I guess. I mean, I think when you're in the commentary booth, can you get a sense in terms of the crowd, in terms of what's going on? I mean, you're doing your job. You're kind of cocooned a little bit. But are you also getting the oohs and the ahs and the, oh, my goodness me, what have we just witnessed from the crowd itself? Yeah, I wasn't in a booth, actually. I was, uh, oh. I was, in, I was in the media, media seating, so I would, I would keep my voice down. Uh, as to not disturb the players, try to talk in between the points uh, as opposed to during the points. Um, so yeah, I was right in there, and the crowd at this point had, I think, an understanding 
that they were witnessing the highest level possible of tennis. And uh, it was, it was very, very electric. Um, there were plenty, there was plenty of center support and there was uh, probably just a teeny bit more Alcaraz support. It would get loud for, for either player. Um, and it was not a full house okay. because of, because of how late it was um, mm -hmm. at this point, it was, it was already, it was already quite late. And uh, I would say, you know, it, it, the, the capacity was at this point decent. It would actually be less than decent by the end of the match, but the noise level was still really, really uh, breathtaking. Uh, because the energy in the building that was coming from the players and just the, the points that were being played and the tennis that, that was on display, uh, that was there in full force. Well, we do end up going into a tie break and the tie break is pretty epic. There were two tie breaks, funny enough, in the match, but they're very different in, in the nature of the tie break. This one... I believe there wasn't even a mini break, if I'm if I'm remembering, and also having just recently watched the video correctly. It's it, it looks like every time one guard the other is going to serve, that he's going to end up losing the point. But one way or another, um, it stays on serve. I think it gets to six five sinner, and that becomes I think his first set point. Bearing in mind he'd already faced uh, three set points against him, but never as gets to six all. Just more incredible stuff. Um, We'll come to the moment that the set is decided, but what were your thoughts during the tiebreak? It was just hard to figure out um, what was going to decide this uh, because the level was so high. And uh, there, were, there were very few mistakes being made. There was a lot of great defense being played, yet the servers were kind of just holding on. Uh, and, and executing at a at a really really high level, so it, it did. You know, it was like, what's going to be the moment here? What's going to be the moment that cracks this open? I actually have skated over the previous game. There's one moment, and I think you can see it on the screen here. And I think for many people, I, yeah. I saw one or two people tweeting about this earlier, uh, thinking this might be the moment that Carlos Alcaraz loses the match. Bearing in mind he had a set point here went on to lose the subsequent tiebreak. Do you, do you remember that when it happened as well, thinking, oh my goodness me, he's blown it. Four set points. But this time, there was no clutch serve from Sinner. Oh, very well I remember that. Uh, because, yeah, as you said, Alcaraz had three set, uh, three set points. You can't blame him for losing any of them. It's this one. This one where he has a midcourt forehand and Sinner is uh, anticipating incorrectly on this ball. So anything over the net is going to be a winner. And with the, the questions about clutchness and pressure uh, coming into the match already being present, this was the one where you're like, ooh, is this going to cost Alcaraz the U.S. Open? Uh, because if it were to, it would actually kind of confirm uh, the concerns that there were for Carlos coming in. It was not anything to do with the level that he's capable of. It was, is he making mistakes in the pressure moments? That was to me, the only concern. And this was a, was a, a case where he did make that mistake uh, when he absolutely should not have. And it should have been two sets to love for Alcaraz. 
and we wouldn't be probably having this episode, despite that incredible point. The point that we talked about would certainly be elevated even more for shots of the year because it ends up winning the game. But um, if it could possibly be elevated. But from our point of view, and even from Carlos's, it doesn't matter, bearing in mind how the tournament went. It does go to a tie break. Uh, they hold serve throughout pretty much, as I said, including a couple of set points saved again from both sides of the net. Uh, it's Alcaraz at one point who's suddenly in trouble, bearing in mind how he was up at one point. He's facing set point 6-5, but manages, manages to get an incredible passing shot to get it to 6-all. But then there's more clutch serving from Sinner, this time with an ace, as he faced set point number 5 at 6-7. And we go on, and then there's an incredible return from Yannick Sinner. I, I mean, incredible. I Maybe at the commentary that I watched today suggested it wasn't the cleanest of returns, but I guess it doesn't matter if you win the point. Yeah, maybe a, a slight mishit, but regardless, good timing. You know, you need good timing to redirect that that backhand down the line off of the Alcaraz wide serve. And, uh, you know, Sinner takes this early uh, so that he's not pulled out, out wide and he keeps the ball in his strike zone. And uh, he makes this down the line return, which is always tricky because the server is uh, it's difficult for them to cover it. They're usually positioned on the other side of uh, the center service line, you should say. You know, Alcaraz at this point is kind of biased towards the ad side because that's where he served it from. Uh, if you're able to locate uh, a clean return down the line from center's position, it's going to be a winner. And this was uh, this was the winning moment right here. Yeah, right. There's a big moment as well in the beginning of the third set when Alcaraz is facing break points but holds. It's then Sinner's turn to save three break points, but Alcaraz ends up actually overcoming that and taking a a break advantage. But he does so on for the fourth time in the match to break um, Sinner's serve for the fourth time. But he'd already had 17 break points in total. So he was four for 17. He was in a good position, of course, right now because it's one set all, but he's he's leading with a break. But maybe there was still a sense of, listen, how many break points is he going to spurn today before before we end up turning the corner? Was there a sense of that as well? Did you realize that Carlos was getting so many opportunities to break but wasn't taking them? Yeah, and and he was getting frustrated visibly, um, which is pretty rare for Carlos Alcaraz. He's, he's a positive guy on the court, um, but he's also human. And again, the context of the last two matches loomed very, very large. Um, o of three on break point opportunities at Wimbledon, something like O of nine in Umag. Now he's four of 17. That was absolutely uh, in his psyche. And you just wondered, is it going to be too much to bear? And, you know, not to mention the fact that Carlos Alcaraz is not used to losing to the same person multiple times and surely doesn't like it. So, yeah, I think as the match progressed through the third set, that was still a, a massive question, is what is happening inside Alcaraz's head right now, given the missed opportunities and the larger context of the match in this head-to-head? -head? I mean, there was also the standing ovation, I think, about two hours and 50, which turned out to be just over halfway through the match rather than near the end of it. Um, I think the crowd were sensing that they were watching, which witnessing maybe not quite history, but a historical match, let's say. And maybe, by the way, these two guys, I think we all, after this match finished, thought, I can't wait for those two guys to play again. 
Yeah, and I think there were a lot of tennis junkies in the crowd, you know, and it depends on on the matchup. But when you have someone with the celebrity of uh, a member of the Big Four or Serena or Osaka, uh, you, you might have a lot of New Yorkers who are excited to see someone who they are familiar with, but they're not necessarily tennis fans. Uh, this Sinner Alcaraz night session is a ticket that uh, I think certainly was seeked out by, by some of the more appreciative pure tennis fans. And uh, that, that was certainly proven when they stayed well past 1 a.m. Yeah, right. Uh, although not by me, Gil. You've, you've exposed yeah, me once again I know. for not... Well, not... John, but you, you were different because, you know, you were uh, you had uh, an entire tournament to, to save your energy for. And, yeah. and look, at, look at this live tweeting that you were doing during the match you deserve yeah although actually i did this today (laughs) okay i did this today as a sort of a imagine that i'm watching the match again and and doing it but yeah to be honest with you when the match was occurring and i was in my hotel watching it and despite how late it was i was ruining my decision not to go but anyway that's for another day perhaps Gil. listen there were so many more twists in this set though because Alcaraz would break and then Sinner would break back and then Alcaraz would break and then Sinner would break back um we end up going to a tie break as well and both would have been ruining perhaps missed opportunities in this set before we go into the tie break yeah and you had both coming off of this long five setter as much as, especially in Alcaraz's case, you admire their endurance, you're thinking, can a player win this match in five sets? Is that possible? Um, because the legs are going to be feeling it. We have an epic level of tennis. We have both of them coming off of five setters deep into the night. Now we're going deep into the night again. Could this third set decide the match? Well, if it was to decide the match, then it wasn't good news for Carlos Alcaraz because he couldn't even win a point. Bearing in mind how the previous tiebreak had gone and bearing in mind how the match had gone, were you surprised at that being a 7-0 and in a, in a tiebreak? You can never predict a tiebreak, but but did that surprise you in any way or, or, or what? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it, it felt like it was going to be potentially the pinnacle of the match, potentially a tiebreak to decide the match. And uh, it just went downhill really, really quickly for Alcaraz. This is where, though, uh, you saw kind of the negativity probably creeping in a little bit too much. And it it was actually, it ended up being a good shift for him, dropping that set, becoming the underdog in this match. He was the front runner for for a lot of it. He was putting all the pressure on. He, He should have been up two sets to love if he just made that forehand in the second set. And the the entire approach to the match changed for Alcaraz after losing this third set badly uh, because for the first time in a couple of hours, he actually wasn't supposed to win it. No. And the second or the fourth set sort of kind of continued in that vein, not, not dramatically, but there was a sense now that we had not, we're not going to see any more twists and turns. Uh, and especially so when he's facing match point Alcaraz, what are your memories of that? I think it was at four five in the in the fourth set well uh i i did think sinner was gonna serve it out <laughs> and um i i don't have vivid memories of of the points that that played out you know specifically that kind of led to alcaraz's break of serve again a lot of this 
uh, the funny thing is if I were actually not at the match and uh, I were, I were home breaking down, I probably would uh, because of the way that I consume the match. It just kind of changes a little bit. Uh, but I don't think center. Yeah. I do think there was a double fault if I remember correctly, but other than that, I think Alcaraz uh, did do a lot of really good work to break serve here. Do I have that right? Yeah, you do. And not only that, I've got a quote from Alcaraz, which I think is more about the match in general, but I do think it may well uh, apply to this game as well. He doesn't know how he did it, as in, like, I don't know how I won the match. He also, by the way, Alcaraz, I'm, I'm just jumping a bit. He threw his sneakers into the crowd. Tell you what, those sneakers, bearing in mind the amount of work they had to do, uh, should be worth quite a bit of money, I would suggest. Yeah, um, I would. I wonder if it was the same pair throughout the match because you're right. I mean, the oh, wear. True. I can't imagine the wear that that Alcaraz puts on those things. Yeah, right. I, I am. I am sort of going off at a tangent somewhat, but I just thought that 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 moment sprung to mind. But yeah, I I don't think there were too many moments in that. Uh, game where Sinner would end up having nightmares of, of blowing it. There wasn't like a forehand into the net like we saw from Carlos earlier as such. But uh, incredibly, it is something that will, that does add to the, uh, I mean, if this match finishes in four sets and Sinner wins, I think it would probably still make matches of the year, but it has a very different feel. And the fact that one of the two protagonists had a match point, had a, a situation where they were serving for the match, just adds to the to the intrigue i guess in terms of the match itself yeah a hundred percent and uh it, it turned on its head also the the questions we were asking you know which was okay uh sinner is cool as a cucumber regardless of what the scoreboard says and alcaraz has the level to beat yannick sinner but he's his level is dropping sometimes when he can't afford it to um, and, and this was a case where Alcaraz, you know, you saw him kind of as a, as an underdog in this situation, uh, his ability to kind of raise the level and kind of turn a match on its heels where honestly, the energy in the building, the energy coming from his box, the circumstances, they all suggested that the match was probably over. Um, but Alcaraz, his fighting spirit is ever present. And that is where some of the comparisons to, to Rafa would, would certainly apply, you know, and again, a lot, in, in a lot of ways, it doesn't apply a comparison to Rafa. Uh, but in, in this way, it probably does where you see a, a high amount of effort of output of energy output from Alcaraz um, at all times, no matter what. So now he saved match points, so he saved a match point, uh, you know, looking like he was down and out, manages to break back. Now we're back on serve. Still a lot of work to be done, of course, but he does win that set. And going into the fifth, um, did you now think Algaraz is the favorite, bearing in mind the momentum swings and where we were at? Yeah, it started to seem like physically they weren't in the same place in, in the fifth set. And that was the okay. first time. Uh, it, it wasn't dramatic. It wasn't that Sinner was... I don't know, doubled over after points or that he, his movement was completely depleted, but some of the explosiveness and the spring uh, seemed to be gone, understandably. And uh, whereas Alcaraz was still at this level of uh, bionic explosiveness where uh, it doesn't make any sense, uh, but he's kind of superhuman in that way. And that's 
uh, certainly coming in an advantage that Alcaraz will have 10 out of 10 times over Sinner is uh, Carlos is just the more the more one percent, the more special athlete, and uh, he's got stronger legs, and uh, he can go for a little bit longer. This set is the first time we saw that come into play. It took a long time, so it's not to say that Sinner uh, didn't show incredible stamina and endurance in this match because he did. Uh, but starting in the fifth set, Alcaraz had more explosion explosion out of the legs. Though I think if I'm if I'm right, I think the first seven games um, all go with serve, and it gets to four three. Yeah, and that's how, that's how I remember it. And, um, and then, and then in this game, it's it's arguably the most important in a way of the match in that that it ends up being pretty decisive, where um, Alcaraz breaks. He's then serving for the match. Do you remember the last point? Yeah, it was uh, it was a body serve ace which is one of my favorite shots in all of tennis. We rarely <laughs> see it. We rarely see it. I think it's underappreciated when it happens. We should, we should uh, take note of it. Body serve ace to end it. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a point you don't see that often. At least I don't recall it happening that often. Um, anyway, body serve ace does it at 40-30. You still think that maybe uh, Cinemite, given how many twists and turns and how incredible the match might ha had been at this point, that, that there would be still another chapter, but there wasn't to be for the Italian. A body serve ace. We see this image of, of Carlos on the court, which I remember seeing. It may well have been in some of the uh, US newspapers, although having said that, get, bearing in mind the match finished at 10 to 3. It might be on the website rather than uh, in the hard copy itself. But this was an image that I remember probably as starkly as almost any other image from the tournament of him just lying prostate on the, on the ground. Yeah, and... Yeah, 100%. I mean, you, you think about the amount of energy that was put into those five sets. Absolutely su superhuman. You knew that the reaction was going to be not only celebration and relief, but also sort of a display of, uh, of exhaustion uh, upon crossing the finish line there. Yeah, there's that, that body surveys that we were just talking about. Yeah. Okay, now, back, looking back a couple of months later... Um, first question is best match of the year for you, ATP at least. Yeah, again, I, I haven't actually weighed it. I, I think it's got some stiff competition because there was an epic and a major final, and this was a quarterfinal. So I think you got to kind of measure it up against Nadal Medvedev in the Australian Open final, um, yeah. as far as ATP match of the year. And uh, that's going to be a tough call. It will probably go to Nadal Medvedev, uh, because again, a major final, usually if we're going to get an epic in a, in a final, that's generally going to be match of the year. I think maybe with those two, I think at the time, in terms of the level that we saw, probably from sets two to four in this match, my feeling was that this is just insane, an insane level from both sides of the net. I thought that the match between Medvedev and Nadal was also insane, but for different reasons. Um uh, what what Mark Petchy told me the other day about that Nadal Medvedev match was also that despite it being two sets to love and then ultimately three sets to two for Rafa, there was still you still had no idea who was going to win the match. Certainly from from Love Forty in that epic game moments here, just as many twists and turns, but it wasn't obviously in the same direction. I almost feel as though particularly two sets two to four, 
where they're both playing incredibly well throughout the match that um, probably in the immediate aftermath of this match, you were gobsmacked, but for very different reasons compared to the Rafa Medvedev match. And yeah. perhaps in the moment, this was a higher quality match. I mean, it's, this may be unfair to say that, but for the reasons you highlighted, quarterfinal, final, the 21 for Rafa and so on and so forth, perhaps in years to come, we'll remember this match. But maybe the casual observer who only saw five or six matches in the whole year, if you like, will still talk about Medvedev and Nadal for decades, probably. Yeah, this this one was about the tennis. It was about the level. It blew our minds. Uh, and, you know, it, it will also, because of Alcaraz going on to win the U.S. Open, it also has incredible historical significance. Yep. Obviously, he had to save that match point, or none of that would have happened. And by the way, who yep. would have won the U.S. Open? Because Hachinov beat Kyrgios. Yeah. Um, so Sinner would have been the favorite going into uh, the semifinals, which would have been um, really interesting. Uh, yeah, where, whereas the Nadal-Medvedev match, it, it wasn't really the level of tennis on both sides of the net that was so uh, incredible and intriguing about that encounter. It was uh, it was the Herculean effort by by Nadal, the the tactical things that that he figured out, the exposing of some of those Medvedev weaknesses, the fact that physically uh, it was a tale of two matches. Nadal looked much less physical in the first half of the match. Medvedev looked less physical in the second half of the match. Um, and then, of course, the context of Nadal coming in um, to, to the Australian Open with very little expectations to do well in it. Uh, that's kind of what made that match stood out, where in, in this match, it was really the X's and O's, the tennis itself. Yeah. And conversely, compared to the, to the Nadal-Medvedev match, where Medvedev was just devastated afterwards, I'm sure Sinner felt equally down after this match. But I did speak to an Italian journalist the other day. What was your thoughts? Who had inclinations, of course, towards Sinner? What were your thoughts after this match? Did you, you know, were you devastated or were you just, wow, I've just witnessed something incredible? And the feeling was incredible. Oh, no, I didn't care that. I didn't care at all that my prediction was wrong. I, uh, <laughs> I felt lucky to witness it. It was, again, um, I wasn't going to sleep much that night. I had an early flight back to uh, Los Angeles the next morning. And um, I, I, I went to the plane with Jose Higueras, who was uh, the, on the call as well with me. And we just felt lucky that, that you know, we could witness that uh, in such a, an intimate way. Um, that was the feeling, I think, for everyone who remained, you know, 2 a.m. in the morning inside Ash. There, there weren't that many of us. Uh, but everyone who was there, I think, felt like they were completely rewarded with this unforgettable night of tennis that was truly special in a lot of ways. Special, indeed it was, and I'm about to lose my voice, Gil, so <clears throat> I think we can <laughs> bring this to an end. Listen, Gil, thank you very much for your time today, and uh, hopefully next time I will have a voice throughout. Thank you, John. Uh, you you made it to the finish line, and uh, <laughs> that was it was like the end of the fifth set for you, but I think you you got enough to, to get yeah, through it. I've just got over the line. Yep. Listen, Gil, once again, big thanks, and uh, good luck with your show. We can find you, of course, on Twitter. Where are you on Twitter? At Gil underscore gross. And John, same to you. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much. Gil, take care. Thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network.